Hello. Um, the reading is taken from Micah, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will, who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old or from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Amen. Good evening. My mic has died before I've even started using it, so I shall be on this one. So do, do and wave at me if I move away and, uh, the, sound, and the sound distorts. <laughs> Just testing. Amazed by Jesus. Are you, am I, amazed by Jesus? As Libby said, that's the question we're looking at as we work through this book by Simon Ponsonby. But obviously, we're also digging into God's word. Last week, Libby brilliantly set the series up, and now we start looking at maybe some of the more specific reasons why we discover that Jesus is amazing. So before I begin, let's pray. Father, open the eyes of our heart that we might see you. Open our ears that we might hear you. And open our willingness to follow you. May we hear your spirit speak now, each one of us, Father. Amen. So it doesn't matter, I think, in my experience, how well prepared a family is for a day out, because it can go wrong. Pack lunch, tick. Buckets and spades, tick. Jumpers for the English chilliness, tick. Every item of preparation was ticked off. We were ready, or so we thought. First child says, I can't find my left shoe. Next child, I need the loo. What, again? Child number three couldn't possibly leave the house without finding their favourite toy. Where was their favourite toy? Nobody knew. Finally, all the children are in the car, the front door is locked, and adult number one turns around and says, did you lock the back door? I thought you were doing it. And so it goes on. We were prepared, but we definitely were not ready. This is one of the joyful things we discover in God's word because we don't only meet with Jesus. We're not only amazed as his disciples were by who he is, 
but we discover God's groundwork. We discover all that God put in prior to Jesus' birth. Jesus coming to be among us was not just a chance act. It wasn't a last-minute decision. This moment had been prepared for and then carried out with meticulous attention to detail and with self-giving love. Jesus was born into a particular culture and race. He was a Middle Eastern Jew. He is not a white European. Of course, we know that Jesus was born in Israel, that he was born to Jewish parents, born a Jew. Yes, we do know that. But why is it then that so many images of Jesus in our art galleries, if you do a Google or, sorry, internet search, if you look at sculptures that have been hewn out of rock down through the ages, they often usually portray Jesus as a white, non-circumcised European. We, the church, we, the people in the West, have failed and denied Christ's lineage. And this matters. It matters to us as a society because it's indicative of a much wider wrong. And here is an example that highlights that perfectly. Martin and I are hooked on a TV show called The Great Pottery Throwdown. Anybody else watch it? Me, a few people. If you have never watched it, the format is very similar to Bake Off. But instead of producing a Victoria sponge, the judges are looking for a teacup or even a usable pottery toilet. One potter recently made a cup with a fairy on it, wings and all. The fairy had, as the potter described, brown skin. One of the judges broke down in tears and said... Growing up in the 1980s, he never saw reflected back at him in broader society images that reflected what he was seeing in the mirror. The potter, too, had shared this terrible experience. How we depict Jesus has tragically been representative of how we, in what was the predominantly white West, have treated and spoken of other ethnic groups. Sadly, in some areas, this continues today. We should admit and repent of those times when we have got this so wrong. And we should now build God-shaped communities, places where all are welcome, all of us treated with love and respect. 
This wrongful depiction of Jesus matters too because not only is there racism involved, but there's also it has promoted anti-Semitic attitudes. And this was experienced terribly in the Nazi propaganda and resulting Holocaust in the 30s and 40s as the Jews were persecuted, blamed for Christ's death. The Nazis actually wrote out of history the fact that Jesus himself was a Jew. It's an appalling tragedy and an example of human depravity. And our portrayal and belief in Jesus' heritage matters because Jesus had to be a Jew. Listen to these words God spoke to Moses and the Israelites. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And in our reading that Tracy brought, out of you, Bethlehem, will come the ruler over Israel. Ponsonby, in the midst of his summing up of this, writes, A Christianity divorced from its Jewish roots opens itself up to anti-Semitism and is in danger of becoming a Gentile cult that Jesus and his disciples would not recognize. So I put to myself, I put to you two questions. Do I have attitudes that portray a desire for all people to look and behave like me? Do we try to make God in our own image, shaping his character, our theology, to what makes us comfortable, rather than the truth that we read in his word, the Bible? Now, I've not personally counted them, but I'm assured that there are 350 clear prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Prophecies that point to the Savior coming from the line of David, a king of Israel. Then what about this from Isaiah, where he writes, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. Remember the last bit of that Micah reading, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Salvation was coming to the people of Israel, but also to the rest of the world. Simeon, I said this morning, one of my favorite Bible characters. Simeon, a saintly old man, who held eight-day-old Jesus in his arms and took up this truth as he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. Israel. Simeon took a prophecy and he himself prophesied. 
Simeon's words underline that the joy of Jesus and God's redeeming love was not only for Israel, but the way was opened up to non-Jews, to many of us here. It's just incredible. God was planning through history to reconcile the world to himself, to redeem and to restore his people. And throughout history, his story, throughout his dealings and conversations with the Jewish nation, hints, clues, prophecies were being scattered. There were repeated messages of hope for all. Amazing. Then, as God's appointed time for Jesus' arrival, as this world-changing, life-changing moment approaches, God prepares, makes ready the people involved. Jesus, born a Jew, arrives at just the right moment. The Roman world was on the move, so Mary and Joseph ended up in Bethlehem. The time of Jesus' birth was a brief moment in history of relative, relative peace and calm. Jesus' birth came at a time when Roman poets were declaring to Caesar Augustus, you are the saviour of the world, good news for the world, bringer of world peace whilst the true Prince of Peace and Saviour was squirming in a manger of hay. Amazing. God's preparations included a star that would guide the wise from other lands, a star that would speak to the world. Here is the light of the world, the light of life. Amazing. God prepared the parents. Now, any of us who've had the privilege of being a parent know that we are never prepared. There may be a cupboard full of nappies, but nothing prepares you for that disgusting nappy change at four o'clock in the morning after half an hour's sleep. What God was asking of Mary and Joseph was monumental Just like last week, we need to set aside our familiarity with these birth narrative and fully grasp and think again about what's going on here. A young, probably teenage girl was excited to be pledged in marriage to the local carpenter. Her life was sorted, mapped out before her, a life of relative comfort surrounded by family and friends. She knew what to expect. But then, was she praying when Gabriel appeared? Was she sweeping the floors? We're not told. But we do discover that she was greatly troubled. Of course she was. How many times has somebody come up to you and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Now, apparently, the Greek used here shows that Mary was already 
highly thought of by God. This is not about the favour that she is about to receive, but what God already sees in her. God looks at Mary and sees a young woman of faith. And then that song that she sings, check it out when you get home. She begins, my soul glorifies the Lord. The language is just beautiful. And there are 18 references in that short song drawn from scripture. She sings about a God she knows and loves. And then Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, a man who could have had his fiancée publicly humiliated or even stoned. But no, even before the angel came along beside him, Joseph had decided to divorce Mary quietly. But here again, God, his preparations, his planning, God intervenes. He sees into the heart of the man and he sees Joseph's faith, compassion, obedient soul. Mary and Joseph demonstrated extraordinary trust and faith in God. And they listened when he spoke. And they did, I believe, have a choice in all of this. Amazing. So a question for those of us who have faith, who know God, definitely a question for me. Do we continue to listen to God, allow him to speak to us, and then trust him, however challenging what he says to us might be? God promised a saviour. God gave prophecies which came to pass. God poured out his love to this world in that tiny baby. His preparation was faultless and nothing prevented the follow-through. Love came down. Amazing. Now, many of us here will have had the experience of walking down the road with a small child and offering our hand to hold. The child rebuts the offer. One of my grandchildren actually holds his own hands on the basis that this powerfully demonstrates his independence, and there's no hand free for fussy granny. But then a large lorry whizzes past noisily, or a fierce dog is barking loudly at the gate. Or actually, the child just forgets to pout and remembers that they love you and you love them. And you feel this tiny hand in yours. God has done all the preparation. He is walking down the road with us, waiting for us to put our hand in his are you prepared to come to Jesus, maybe for the first time, accepting that he loves you, discovering that in him is life? 
Maybe you feel God calling to you from a great distance. You, he's calling you to return to him. Or maybe like me, you can sense the Holy Spirit stirring your heart out of lethargy and maybe some over-familiarity. And you open the eyes of your heart once again and amazed by Jesus. So a question to end. Are we prepared and ready to come to Jesus? Are we prepared to respond? Are we prepared to meet with God every day in the busyness or in the quiet? Are we prepared to be amazed, to take the hand of God and let Jesus change our lives? Let's pause.